episode 27 of the Tactical Breakdown podcast. Today we're talking the science of police training, building out training programs from the ground up. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, we're back at it with episode 27 of Tactical Breakdown, the podcast for instructors and trainers in law enforcement, military, and emergency response. I'm your host, Adam Kanakin. Thank you so much for being here. Really excited to get another episode out to you today. This was one I actually recorded a few months ago. It took a little bit to put this one together. You will notice listening to this episode, I may sound a little wonky. Had some hiccups with my audio equipment during this recording, so I uh, I fixed it up as best I could. I think it's all right. So if it's really bothering you, jump into the comments, leave me a note. I won't be able to change anything, but it may make you feel better. And if you're already down there, you might as well leave a review for the show and uh, (laughs) make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. Before jumping into the episode, I do want to bring up our instructor's roundtable round two, which is taking place this Thursday, February 27th at 1800 Central. You can go to thebreakdown.ca forward slash IRT to get the links to the YouTube or Facebook live streams. This month, we're talking officer-involved shootings, and we have four of the top instructors in the world again. Really excited. Our friends at Caliber Press have partnered with us. We're going to be bringing these to you each and every month. Check it out. Join us live. We're going to be doing a special free giveaway for people that are actually on the call with us. And as well, we're going to be announcing the winner for our very first Tactical Gear giveaway that we've been running since mid-January. And we're going to be announcing the very first Instructor of the Year nominee that have been submitted by you for instructors and trainers that really deserve the recognition that they're not going to go out and reach for themselves. So thank you for doing that. Now, today's episode is all about building up training programs, building them from the ground up for police officer academies and working into in-service training. I bet you're wondering who I have on as my guest today for this episode And that, of course, is Sergeant Mike Masango out of Syracuse. Now, Mike is the director of the Syracuse Regional Police Academy and an instructor at the Force Science Institute. He's got over 27 years in law enforcement, and if I were to read out to you his entire list of credentials, we'd really be at the end of the episode by then. So I'm going to jump right into this, and we're going to get into the conversation about building out training programs, the science behind building out training programs, And if you're listening to this and you're responsible for building out training programs at your agencies or within your departments, this is going to be an episode that you're going to want to tune into, maybe take some notes. Really good stuff in here. So thank you for joining us. And let's jump right into the episode with Mike. Here we go. Mike, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me on, Adam. It's it's an honor to be on your podcast. I've listened to a bunch of the episodes and uh, I think you're going a great direction and doing a great service for uh, all the training in law enforcement and military. So thanks. It's an honor to be here. When when we first started talking, you were talking all about training and how the science of training has been changing and needs to change for the future, for police academies and, and for agencies all around the world. 
In early 2019, Force Science Institute began publishing a four-part series on police officer training. And I know part of that was about training modalities and block and silo type training. And that's something that you have a very interesting take on. So I'd love to I'd love to hear your thought maybe about what that article was about and how you kind of fit into all this and and where is training where has it been and where is it going now into the future? So I could talk for about six hours on that uh, one subject, without a doubt. <laughs> Perfect. So this is a six-part episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So I'll, I'll just I'll kind of jump in there um, as far as the article and um, for Science Institute going out and looking and studying academies and the type of style of uh, education in the academies and looking for those patterns of how things are being done. So I can speak specifically for our academy um, that I'm the director of here in Syracuse, upstate New York, uh, a regional police academy, and traveling and training and doing some things with Forest Science. The nice thing is you get to speak to a lot of great people, a lot of great trainers, administrators, uh, just kind of you know hanging out at lunch and talking about how things are back at their agencies. And I come to the conclusion that we really don't have a lot of things different going on. There's still a lot of things um, that we're systemically doing that when you really break it down to look at the science of long-term learning versus short-term performance gains, we're just not optimizing those methods that, you know, just optimize long-term learning over short-term performance gains. So um, we, I started looking into that um, this stuff would force science. It really came out uh, 2017 in December. Force science had a what they called a train the trainer beta run class, and it was a five day course. And 15 um, of us were invited from across the nation, trainers, to go in and critique it. So it was a beta run course. We sat down, and I have to say, Adam, it was amazing. It was five days of unbelievable training sitting there and I'm listening to the writers of the textbooks, Dr. Tim Lee with uh, motor learning and performance, uh, Dr. Christine Hall, Dr. Paul Taylor, uh, Chris Butler, um, Dr. Lewinsky, of course, the four science folks and all these people had these great insights into these areas of understanding how we learn as human beings and long-term memory versus short-term memory, motor learning versus cognitive learning and the differences and the importance of feedback, uh, all these different things. And after five days of not just the eight hours in the classroom of listening to this, but it was the beautiful thing is when you get folks like that together, it's like after class, you go back to the hotel, we're talking about it while we're working out, we're talking about it at dinner and having a drink after. And the conversation flows for five days all the way through it. Um, and that entire atmosphere pulling away from that the one thing that just kind of dawned on me, like having that V8 moment was at that time, I think at 25, 26 years in, I'm like, why is this the first time that I'm hearing about this? You know, I've been, been involved in training and SWAT for all these years. And why is this the first time? Because a lot of this research is not brand new. Um, so I, I think that what I really like to do when I go out and, and, and I do love to go out and train um, I teach all the time, but I also like to go out as a trainee and I like to go out, pick up some training, bring it back and actually do something with it. Go back to the instructors and vet it out and start digging into the research that they were doing, uh, the research that was spawned off of that 
and going in and seeing what can we do and what can we take away from this to start making some improvements in our own academy experience. And that's kind of where it all started. And it really um, got me inspired to start using this stuff. Once we started applying it into the curriculum, uh, it started to take on a life of its own. And uh, we started to, what I believe is to do some really great things and going in uh, to a great direction. Um, yeah, I want to set the stage real quickly just for uh, those listening here. When we, because we're going to be talking about a few different things, and I want to just kind of set the stage so that they understand a few definitions in case they're they're unfamiliar with the terminology from the training side of things. So one of the things we're going to be talking about is block training um, and silo training. So correct, please correct me if I'm wrong. This is <laughs> I'm going to be doing this from memory, but silo training is essentially standalone training sessions. So individualized training, one specific topic. And it's done in kind of a uh, one module, one day type training. And then block training, um, which in the military we would call phase training, is basically a systemized, um, it's a systemized group of lessons designed to take you to a, an end goal. So it would be a group of the silo training blocks put together in a certain way. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. That's right, Adam. And when you think about it, it just, it kind of makes logical sense to us because, okay, we're going to go to firearms training. So most academies, maybe about two thirds of the way through the academy, wherever it is, you'll go to your firearms training and it'll start on day one and it'll end on day whatever your firearms trainers can steal time away from the, the entire academy. It depends on your parameters and your, your agency jurisdiction, all that, whether it's two weeks, you know, 80 hours, a hundred hours, I've seen some with less than 40. Um, and then you have day one and it, it, and then it ends. Uh, okay, check the box. You know, you practice, 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 building blocks from fundamental marksmanship shooting up until, okay, towards the end, shoot, move, and communicate. And it just seems to make good sense. You have performance standards that you're meeting. So let's call it what it is, the qual course. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two out of five or something like that. But there's some arbitrary performance standard that you have to shoot at the end before you can check that box and go on to the next square. So again, that's a whole couple of hours of why I think that that is insane at this point in the game, the way we do this and even our evaluation standards and what we're evaluating. So yes, that's that's basically an example of block training. Block and silo, to me that silo is when it's independent of everything else. So you're going to, whether it's a standalone in-service type training or we go to that block, that entire section, and then when we're done with firearms training and everybody, whoever passes, goes on to do, say, defensive tactics or, or um, control techniques or, or whatever you, you call them. So your DT stuff. Um, and then we'll do just that. So, uh, you know, that's there's an issue in that when it comes to long-term learning and performance where we're, we're training the trainee to a level of performance that's measurable. We check the box, we move on, and then we do the next thing. And what the science will show us is, especially with this motor learning, that these skills that we're giving them and their practice, practice, time of repetition, I call them time reps, time of repetition, time of repetition, time of repetition, check the box, and you're done. 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, those skills are falling off. They're just falling right off the cliff. Um, and that's something that um, even though a lot of times we're aware of this, we continue 
to keep doing it over and over and over again because of, you know, there's a lot of external reasons. Um, it fits on the schedule nice. We can get all of our instructors there for two weeks because we're pulling a lot of them from their collateral duties. So uh, there's one thing, Adam, that I try not to do when I when I talk about this stuff is what I say in law enforcement, it's kind of we've got this subculture where it's we can identify with all of these challenges, these things that make it difficult to make improvements in our academy and training. And trust me, I've been there. I've seen them all. I've survived a bunch and I still get frustrated to this day. I do understand that. But I've seen a lot of time and energy focused on the challenges and not a lot of time and energy and saying, hey, we're trying this. We're actually trying to apply this this way. I'm going to show you where we've succeeded, where we think we're succeeded, and where we definitely are skinning our knees. But we're learning from those, and we're always improving. So with that being said, it's a constant, um, you know, it's just it's a constant journey for trying to just get continually improving, you know, just trying to focus on always improving where we are um, with this. So if I could throw one more thing in there, because we kind of jumped into identifying what these terms mean. Um, there's probably trainers out there listening to this thinking, okay, what's this new thing? And it's it's not new. It, it's been around for a while. But when we're talking about the way to design um, training around the science, I don't want to not credit the importance of developing our instructors. So that's a whole nother topic of, of, of uh, conversation as developing the instructors. And also one of the biggest things when, if I can get back to my personal experience, when we started to look at making this uh, improvement into the academy and adding the science, the very first thing that we needed to do was go back and look at and this is one thing that I really like um, about listening to Tony Blower and the Spear stuff is when he was talking about something, it kind of struck a chord with me. And I'm like, yes, yes, exactly. It's like, what is our end result? What are we actually trying to accomplish in the academy? Because this is where I think we have an issue uh, systemically. I think that we're very good, systemically speaking, if we are doing good recruiting and we're getting you know, good folks into the academy, I think we're doing a very good job with our instructors at meeting training objectives. So we identify a training objective and we put all of our efforts to meet that objective. And that's where I think we have a little bit of an issue because when it comes down to that, whether it's we need to run fast and shoot straight and we need to, you know, the laws, the different understanding of laws and communication, when we're doing these things and we're evaluating these processes, that time and repetition is going to put us on mark. Here's the issue that we're seeing. We're getting these folks, these recruits that perform very high in the academy. They get out into the street, they hit FTO, and there's a number of them that all of a sudden it's like, you know, they go flat. What happened to this guy or this gal? They were doing great in the academy. So what we're doing is we're producing these wonderful, awesome recruits that are held to the standards of a recruit. But we're sometimes losing what that is and what we actually expect them to be able to do and accomplish on the street. Because, it, yeah, it's great to run fast and shoot straight and have all these skills that we've developed all along the way. But who's looking at the data? What's actually occurring out on the street? What do we really need these young officers to be good at when they get out there? So before you, we go back and start looking at application science and long-term learning, let's make sure that we're looking at the right material and the right things that we want them to do. That's what we did in Syracuse. I sat down. I had interviews with all my FTOs. 
as these recruits are coming out of these past academies, what are they performing badly in? What are they hurting? Where are they lacking? Let's look at those things, report writing, decision-making, problem solving. It wasn't shooting and running, and it wasn't some of these other things that we hold so high and give awards for as they walk across the stage. And start focusing on how can we get that information that we're giving them and driving home the importance of those skills and then having that become the priority as we're going through the academy. It's it's really interesting the way that training has always kind of been, in my experience, we have qualifications. So you go through your training iterations to get you up to a standard so that when you go through your qualification, you pass your qualification. Like you said, you get your check in the box. And usually those skills aren't revisited until you have to requalify the next year. So that's great for the agencies or the departments when it comes to uh, their liability, right? Oh, this officer has their qualification. They're covered for this year. Um, It's great for budget, like you said, because you can stack a bunch of training into short timeframes or at least plan them so that you can be the most effective with your training staff and equipment. But the problem comes in that if the end goal is operational effectiveness, when you're doing these single iteration training cycles, you don't have the carry through, like you said, once they get into the field and you're losing the operational effectiveness portion, which was your initial goal in the first place. Is that sound, is that kind of sound like what you're trying to change in the way that academies are doing these trainings? Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. So we're looking at long-term learning and transfer of skill and the different ways that they are empirically backed that show that support these methods um, to do that. Now, I got to go ahead and jump ahead and say my focus is on academy training. And to be honest with you, it's easier to apply the stuff more effectively in the academy. Why? Because we have them. We have them for in where my academy is the state mandate is close to 700 hours we're allowed to keep them longer than that our academy right now and i just found out a way to kind of surreptitiously add some time to it i tell a little bit about that on the side (laughs) but we're we're pushed out to about 29 weeks right now um so that that's a good long time of training that we can really focus on how to apply the best um methods of this long-term learning and skill transfer and we can design this stuff and it's great it's when we get out of the academy so right now my focus is on academy when it comes to in-service training adam i'm going to admit it right now i don't have the answers for that if you're only getting two or three days of training a year or even five days of training a year and then some of that stuff is broken down and what you know the um some of the things that aren't like motor skills, they're just these social skill things that, that are demands through the department, through the community. So that's eating up a couple of days of this and that. Not that they're not important, but the life-saving stuff kind of gets pushed aside. Uh, we can all agree on that. I'll go ahead and just say it. My, and I've heard a lot of people repeat this on other podcasts, like on Jocko and Tim Kennedy and some of these. Other, and every time I hear it, it's like, yep, exactly. It's like, People need to understand that the amount of really the amount of training that it would take in time alone for police officers to be able to perform under all the different circumstances and conditions that we face every day on the street, we will we will never get there. We just won't get there, which 
understand that and accept the fact that I mean I'm I mean you're looking at three days on the road, two days in training for the things that we need to be able to do and perform under our time compressed violent encounters, communication skills, de-escalation, physical control, report writing, communication. When you think of all the things that we need to be able to be really good at and society holds us to the standard, you know, the 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 administrators holds the standard. We hold each other to the standard. And that's that's another entire another focus that needs attention, which means to me from a trainer, we need to be really as efficient as we can with the time that we get to try to focus on the things that will, again, optimize long-term learning and performance skill transfer. And as a trainer, I know sometimes that I'll do things and I've done things in the past in service. I, I, ran, I used to run the range as the range master. And I know that if we're going to spend a half an hour out of a six-hour shooting day, on holster draw, maybe an hour on getting the draw stroke, I can show them on a stopwatch that they're going to go from a, you know, maybe a 2.2 draw stroke to one shot down to a 1.6 or 1.7 with some time and repetition. Now that's blocking in a day. I know it's not good for long-term learning, but if I've got somebody for one day that year and I'm really promoting that, look, if you practice, you can change. Look at what you just did in 45 minutes of time and repetition. They walk away going, you know what? I actually got better just by doing some work and promote the idea that this isn't going to work once a year. You need to do this on the own, on your own. You can't rely on the department to train you to be able to, you know, be competent with all the tools that you have. Much you don't depend on the department to keep you in shape. So don't think that they're they're going to be able to handle that training load that's going to get you good and everything else. So making the trainee, you know try to kind of push them towards training on their own. I like to train them as train the trainer for the trainees. That's like, I'm going to teach you how to train yourself. Uh, it's probably the best you can do when you're only getting that little of time. So that's in service. My focus is back on the academy where we actually have them for 29 weeks and how we can promote this long-term learning and skill transfer by uh, looking at the science of long-term learning, looking at these methods that optimize uh, getting there. So let's, I, I have a question about, and I'll, we'll, maybe we'll bring this up at the end, but some skills or uh, some tips or tricks that officers can take with them um, in in ways of, you know, using their own time um, or when they're at home to, to kind of hone their skills a bit better. But I want to get into this optimization that you're speaking to. What are, when we talk about optimizing long-term learning and retention of different skill sets, where do we start with that? What what are the steps that you've taken and where did where did you start this process and, and where are we at right now? So right now, and I don't want to scare any trainers away right now when I bring up using the internet or web-based training, this is a little bit different. This isn't in place of actual trainings. I know a lot of departments try to save time and money by using that, power DMS and things like that, and they're great for certain subjects. Um but what I started to create was a web-based learning platform that complements the academy. So we're not replacing any training with training on the web. What we're using this for um, is it's an online class, more or less, and it rides right along with the academy. So as they're going through and they're starting their first week, second week, third week, we're using the online platform for when they get out of class and on the weekends. So we use that to um, use the methods of priming, um, then the direct instruction, and then boosting. Um, and what I'll do, it's probably the easiest way, Adam, is just give you an example of, of how we use it. So traditionally speaking, 
I always use this. Um, so week three of the academy, here's an example. Week three of the academy, uh, sometime in that morning on nine o'clock till 12, the recruits will be in class and the instructor's going to go in and the topic's going to be robbery. So they're going to talk about robbery. Normally it's, these are the definitions. These are the sections. These are the laws. And this is how, and then we go into robbery investigations and things that are important, identification process, yada, yada, yada. They go down the line, two hours, three hours. They take notes. There's a lot of words on the PowerPoint and then they leave. They'll go home and they'll just reread, reread, highlight, reread, study that, and then have a test in a few days along with a couple other topics on burglary and larceny, assaults. And as long as they can hit those scores above whatever that your arbitrary standard is, they check that box, move on to the next square. You won't see robbery again in most academies. You really won't. So what what I decided to do is use this online program and then what I understand about long-term learning and kind of just use some priming and boosting effects. So instead of doing it that way, we still have the two or three hours of uh, on, in that week three. So what we did is on, in week two, when they're going home in the evening, they go on this, um, it's the one that I use is Moodle, M-O-O-D-L-E. There's a lot of platforms out there, um, Chalkboard, LearnDash, um, Canvas. You can use any of them. And I have all this information populated every week of the academy. So in week two, before they get to the week three robbery, they'll have a little thing that opens up on their web uh, for that day, and it'll be priming information. They'll read through the priming information, and they'll kind of do it the way I've instructed them. So basically, the priming, what I did was I asked um, every instructor that teaches in the academy ahead of time. I said, okay, guys, this is what we're doing. I taught them about priming, boosting, interleaving, and we had this class. And I said, what I need from you guys and gals right now is your block of information, whatever you're teaching, I need you to come up with some priming information, which is, okay, here's what priming is to me. Um, I said, I keep it simple. If someone was to take your, if you, if you were to take your own class, all right, and you wanted to get a better grade than anyone else in the class, what information would you want to know walking into your class so you could hit the ground running? So basically, it was definition-based, understanding, come up with some questions for the instructor. So they're getting all this stuff a week before the class, and then they're online. There's Q&A forums, so they can go in there, and they can chat amongst their, their squads. So we use group work. They can talk about these things or have a little bit of Q&A on the definitions, and then they'll have a little exercise going on. They get into week two. They get direct instruction. They come into the room. They already have a basis of knowledge of what robbery is. They know the sections, the laws. They could go in there and have some little Q&A or a pretest and have questions that they're throwing to the uh, instructor that are up there. That's basically an example of priming. Now, after they get that, week four will come around. And when week four comes around, one of their homeworks for the night, one of those nights, it'll pop up on the web and it'll be for robbery. I have a convenience store robbery video off of you know YouTube. And they watch the video, and then there's a series of questions. What would you ask the victims? What types of charges? You know, things like that. Did you see the weapon? What type of charge? Whatever questions as far as the interview process, as far as the identification process. And that goes on to a Q&A form where they'll come up with answers. And then they are instructed to read other people's comments and then comment on theirs. So it's a very interactive exercise that they're doing. 
And so now we have what they're doing is um, Dr. Robert Bjork says, less input, more output, is they're actually generating thoughts and ideas about this topic. And instead of doing it for two or three hours on a Tuesday in week three, they're now discussing it, talking about it over three weeks, a three week period. And then we take it from there and we start putting these scenarios and wrapping these scenarios at that three week period. So as we're going along, we're building scenario based training into the academy, into the weeks. So we're actually getting some skill transfer and putting some context to what we're actually talking about in class and working on at home. So that practical part of it's very important. And the last part is, and I, I forgot to put this in, is when I asked the instructors for priming and boosting information, I also asked them for, depending on the size of their block, give me some examples and some things that we can use in scenario-based exercises. Number one, I want you to include some type of scenario-based um, exercise in your class. And that could be a tabletop, group work, watch a video, come back in, give them 10 minutes, and you know we'll help you with that. We'll help you design that for your classwork instead of just sitting there blowing PowerPoint at someone for three hours, which we know is, is horrible. Um, get some scenario in class and then something that we can have a practical application for. So that's just one example of the science of learning, the cognitive part of it. Um, and then we also took an approach to the, the motor learning stuff too, and, and I can talk about that as well. Yeah, before we get into the motor learning, what you were saying about the the priming and boosting is really interesting to me. I actually work a lot with a gentleman up here in Canada, and he does a lot of consulting for private security companies and things like that. He developed a training program for especially for use of force training for security officers. The main part of the course was an online what you would call a priming session prior to the course actually taking place. So knowing that these agencies and these companies have a, a set time frame on like, okay, well, you have our guards for 16 hours, two days. Okay, well, we have more than 16 hours worth of information to give them so that they meet our standard for certification. He designed a program where essentially he sends out booklets like a full kind of it's like a manual which then gets paired with an online learning program those security officers have to go through those programs first and it takes them x amount of time on their own time probably around 10 to 20 hours before they even step foot in the class and then when they come into the class the first thing we do is walk through exactly what they should already know before they come to the class so that we kind of set a baseline prior to them even coming in the class. Because if I only have them for 16 hours, that's going to be the hands-on stuff. I don't have time to sit there and talk academics and criminal code and all those types of things with them. So it seems like this this learning modality is actually changing and it's it's changing for the better because there's a lot more people that are doing that now. And I'm glad that that's to to have that kind of verified by you saying, listen, this is this is what the science is finding is working for retention of knowledge. So that's really interesting. Yes, that's great. He's he's on it. I love what I hear about folks doing this stuff and trying to just optimize their their face to face time with the instructors. So it's just much more useful and efficient. You can do more scenario based training. You can have more discussion based training where you're problem solving and talking about these issues. When you're spending three quarters of the class sitting in classroom defining terms, that doesn't, I mean, it's a waste of time. We should be getting, learning a little bit more tacit knowledge or experience from the instructor, experience-based stuff, practical exercises. Um, I think that's all great stuff. Um, I found that 
if you use a program online, if you just put like if you just put information out there, like read this and then come to class, you know, um, it's tough because some will, some won't. And I'm sure Mike has this down, but with the with the platform, you can engage in conversation with them online. So you're getting some group discussion so you can see who's on there, how much. I mean, if you really want, you can see how much time they're spending and the, the platforms are great because and I don't use it like a you know big brother looking over the shoulder, but it is the academy. So if I find that a recruit's kind of struggling academically, I can go onto the platform, click on his name, his or her name, and you can see how much time they're spending online working on this stuff. Some of them are they're off the charts and others, uh, you know, you can it, it kind of fits. You'll see when somebody's struggling, they're probably not doing the work with well. at least there is some interaction beforehand going into the training make the best out of the training, and then push it after. Now, as as I was studying through this, I'm like, okay, I'm long in the tooth on this stuff. I've been around long enough to know that anything that's like working well, there's always another edge to the sword, right? That's the, the dichotomy of everything that we do. There's always this other thing that can hurt as well. Or there's always this little downside or dark side to this thing. So um, there is something called the fluency heuristic, and it's like, be cautioned about that because sometimes just because things go together and flow together, it can, uh, you know, appear to enhance long-term learning. And actually, it's just kind of they go together and flow together. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do that. It's just make sure that we're doing that and we're following up with the boosting. And then we're actually trying to get some, um, put that that subject into context. And I, I can't say enough about trying to put things in context. It's like, when we're teaching things, we're teaching issues. It's always like in a classroom, even online, that's still got this vacuum parks. We're concentrating on it as applying it into the contextual environment. And that's the things that, you know, when I, again, when I listen to Tony Blauer talk about, it's like, okay, you're learning all these techniques, you're learning all this stuff, but it's, that's what actually is happening on the street. And, and it's like, uh, that's beautiful. You know, that's beautiful. When you start looking, it's like, you're right on it right there, because that's a lot of things that I know that we do in the academies. And it's like, it may sound funny, but over techniquing, you know, and I spent a lot of time running time and repetitions on an M4 and on a pistol and everything else. And I found a lot of benefits in it, but the more we drive technical skills, the, the more of like this line we get between the technique and what's actually occurring out there. If that makes sense. That's, I know it's, yeah, it's a little confused. It's, it's one of those things like, well, wait a minute. Why don't I just practice my draw stroke here? Um, I'm standing still. So we kind of understand that. Well, hopefully nobody's still standing in stalls while they're shooting. But um, just the basic thing is watching out how many, every, every rep I do of technique, whatever level of fundamentals, whether it's just one little specific thing or it's a serial motor skill, um, everything I do, every rep I do of technique, that has no context to it is pulling me farther away from the application and context. So to, to fix that, uh, I call it making chili. You, you, you can, you can get all the parts, but you got to put it together and make chili and you got to throw different situations so that it's not just the skill or just the, whatever that aptitude is. It's, will I recognize when it needs to be used and how much of these things that we're drilling technique are actually counterintuitive to our own limbic systems uh, you know, SNS, our, our own automatic, like, okay, what's behaviorally compliant to save my life? And look at what we've done over the years to train that out of people, like standing still and shooting and our, the, the the rate of our trigger press. So um, 
Sorry, I get bouncing around on this stuff, Adam, because I kind of get passionately into it. <laughs> it's all, it's all good. <laughs> Thinking about all these things. We're, we're trying to tack. Yeah, we're trying to tack so much now. That's... What? So can you are, – are there a few specific examples that you could think of? Um, now, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a firearms or a defensive tactics program, but it could be um, where you see this most often, where you see too much – focus on a specific technique and not enough on putting it together so that it's operationally effective. Sure. And again, firearms and defensive tactics, um, those are probably the two biggest because now we're talking about saving our lives or saving other people's lives. Um, being a firearms instructor over the years and being, you know, having some humility and looking back and like I was teaching it this way because that's the way I learned. Um, people's philosophy on how things should be done. We need to probably stop doing that um, and, and start looking at the data uh, and let the data drive the training. So that's where I've seen that uh, over and over and over again in the firearms world. Uh, I'm a firearms instructor. And when I came on, you were either a firearms instructor or defensive tactics. You couldn't do both. They didn't allow it. And, and we've changed that ever since we want to have uh, our instructors doing all, all multifaceted. So with firearms, standing, you know, on, on the line, we're shooting on the line. We're focusing on marksmanship skills. So most of the time, academies are built around grip, presentation, side alignment, side picture, trigger, press, follow through, whatever bunch of fundamentals you do. Oh, and then, of course, we, we assess the range by looking left and right. So we're drilling this over and over again. And then we're coming up and we're going sighted fire, sighted fire, which has come up front post, concentrate on the front post and 25 yard line, hit the bullseye. Excellent. Good. You pass. Go on to the next square. How much time do we spend focusing on this marksmanship type skill? And I'm not saying it's not important, but we're focusing all this time on marksmanship skill. And what we've done is we're not just we're not just teaching someone a skill. We're teaching them a frequency. We're teaching them a cadence. We're teaching them everything that's intended for them to take away. We're also getting all the other stuff that's unintended. And that's our position. We're standing still. We're looking at the sights and trying to shoot a bullseye when we're at three yards. So go back and look at the data on it. Where Go to Leoka. Where are our gunfights happening? What's the numbers that are happening inside of 15 feet? What do they look like? They're time compressed, extremely violent in nature. They sound like boom, 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 boom. And what we're finding is the cadence of, of the, the split times of officers is actually slower. And if you look at the naive shooter uh, study by Forest Science, they'll show you that the difference between an expert shooter and a naive shooter at the distances that most of our gunfights are happening is, is statistically insignificant. And as a matter of fact, the naive shooters are, are, are shooting in our heads because they're shooting what they're looking at. And that, that gets into a whole other world of attentional focus and things. But how much time are we preparing our officers for what we could expect to happen out on the street? And what are we actually, you know, what's actually occurring and how much time are we spending? But we continue to, to focus on these programs where we're building blocks from marksmanship first. And then when it comes time to shoot faster, what we'll do is take our marksmanship skills. And like um, a lot of people have learned, well, you just, you just do the same thing. You just speed it up. And we're not shooting and we're not, you know, we're not, using these motor skills at the speed of what the expectation is in the real world. And that's when we'll see some crazy things happen. 
That's really interesting. Actually, the one of the first episodes that I had on the show uh, was with Nick Brazo, uh, instructor out of Montreal. And our conversation went exactly down that route. And that's exactly, he said the same thing, is that it's too long have we taken firearms and defensive tactics and kept them separate from each other. That we need to start, you know, implementing parts of each of those trainings into the other so that you get a better complete picture of what it's actually going to be like. You're not, it's, you know, you're not going to be standing at a range at 10 yards firing onto your subject. I mean, it could happen. Don't get me wrong, but you know, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be in a physical altercation with someone first and then it's going to lead to a weapon being produced. You're going to have to then use your weapon at close range and then maybe back onto the defensive tactics portion all in the span of, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. And those types of scenarios aren't even being addressed. So it's really interesting um, to see that, that the progression of how those programs are being intertwined and, and put together now. So I don't know if you have any more to say on that, but it's interesting to me. Yes, it's. I mean, I, I loved going down the rabbit hole with it because when what's really mind-boggling, and you know, again, I'm guilty of it too, of just you know the years of training and, and SWAT training. It's like we're training things out of our intuition, our bodies. You know, priority life is a whole other issue. Again, that's another conversation. I understand, but when we're talking about just someone that's trying to kill us and what we've done to train our ability to handle these different situations, so. Um, how long have we trained that? See a gun, get a gun. So if you look at, and again, I go kind of go back to the forest science stuff because it's it, it, there's great illustrations of it with the traffic stop study and these types of things with the ambushes. And even though I do agree, it either starts off physical and goes to lethal or vice versa in, in these encounters, it ultimately goes hands-on at some point. Um, but the traffic stop study, um, here's an interesting thing that I that I noticed. Um, we do these civilian police academies and um, where we have like these three day events and we invite people from um, the communities to come in and experience some things. And, you know, we put them in the, 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 the Sims gear, if you will, the PPE gear, and we use the NLTAs, the, 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 the force on force stuff. And again, it's unfair. We understand that, but we're just trying to expose them to some of the stuff that, that we do and the trainings that we do. So we give them the same lessons on it. And there's something, you know, you have these little moments, these epiphanies where you see something and you go, Wow. So we have a situation where someone is, is in a verbal confrontation and our role player will just immediately pull a gun very quickly and point it at the, you know, the officer normally in training. And now it's the civilian person. So they're talking to each other within three feet. So they're having this conversation and all of a sudden the gun is exposed. And here's the here's the here's one example of what I'm talking about, what, what we're doing in training. Most of the time. When that happens to our officers in training, they see the gun. What do you think they do? They go for their own gun. You're behind the reaction curve as it is. By the time you see that thing come in, we're looking at like 0.3 seconds before we have any type of cognitive response to it. And then we're going to try to draw from the holster at, oh, let's just call it 150, 150 miles an hour when we've only trained at 90 because we're working on marksmanship. And that's when you get this gun that comes flying over the head and the elevated holster draw. And then by the time they get the gun out, they've already received three or four rounds from the Sims gun or blank or whatever you're using. So is that a logical 
reaction to try to survive that when I'm in arm's reach and someone's pulling a gun out. No, um, I, I'm not going to win at the start of the gunfight. Yes, we want officers to say, no matter what, you're going to win. Of course, okay. You're not going to win the start of this gunfight because you're behind the reaction curve. So what have we done on the range to try to correct that? Well, we try to get people to draw faster out of their holster. That's not the answer. If you can shave a tenth of a second off by practicing a lot, good, do it. I do. But that's not the answer to, to getting ahead of that. If I'm in arm's reach, what I found in the civilian academies, that people have absolutely no training whatsoever, and we've got this gun strapped on them. As soon as that weapon comes out, most of the people that have no training whatsoever immediately go hands on the weapon and try to retard the motion of the bad guy trying to shoot them. But our officers don't do that. There's a problem there, and the problem was created by training. So that's kind of one of those things. It's like a perfect example of how we've done that. You know, we're trying to do the best we can to train. We always have, and I'm not pointing fingers and at the people that came before me. I think we've always been on a path of constant improvement, but sometimes we're, we're learning these things and we're not learning these things if we're not looking at what's occurring or we're looking at what's occurring on the street and we're saying, well, that's an individual issue. That's not a systemic issue. And I think we need to really look at that harder and understand that there are these systemic issues, but because the frequency is low, we tend to look at it at an individual officer issue. Really interesting. I read a, I have a book here. Um, it's called A Scientific Approach to Reality-Based Training. Uh, it was put out by Dr. Terry Wallert and Jeff Quayle um, of SETCAT up here in Winnipeg. I don't know if you've had a chance to read the book. If you haven't, I'll send it to you. But it's uh, in that they talk a lot about the science behind exactly what you were saying. It's why would why would the officer, if a weapon's produced within that touch range, why would they then think that it makes sense to go to their weapon? And it's because it's been trained so much and drilled so much that weapons produced. And now I have to go to my weapon instead of go to the threat, you know, attack the threat, not the not try to formulate this plan in your head of okay now i have to do this or this happened so now this is the response that i'm supposed to have because uh it happens it happens way too often so that's super interesting uh yes i actually as you said it i turned around behind me in my bookcase and i'm looking at it right now um scientific approach to reality-based training we have in new york we have a great uh five-day reality-based training certifications uh course um it's very good it's very very good uh, there's a lot to learn. And for me, every time you take a course, it's like a five-day course. It's like, okay, now I know where I need to look in order to get better at this stuff. So it's not just, there's never just a standalone course. It's like, give me information and places to look uh, to get better at it. So that's that's a great book. I Again, the reality-based training, the scenario-based training, it's the more you learn about it, the more we understand we need to be so, so very mindful how we're developing our instructors, our role players. So cute. I mean, I know a lot of times because I re, I lived through the times of the, with the Ken Murray stuff and then our instructors get it and it's great stuff. And then it comes back and then every instructor kind of repeats it and the next person um, and they kind of, we kind of bastardize it unintentionally. And next thing you know, we've got role players kind of going around the bend, which they naturally do if they don't understand the discipline and the very important to stay consistent with what we're doing. Uh, in in these scenarios so the scenario based training to me is great it's awesome um but it has to be done right it's one of those things in training unlike uh you know talk about like going to the gym and staying in shape it's like hey no matter what if anything you do is better than nothing at all and it's like when it comes to reality based training it's like that's not true when it comes to reality based training you have to be very mindful how you're constructing this and then 
to make sure, you know, see the training scars, see the issues and when you're blowing the whistle or indexing too early, uh, playing these things out, um, your coaches, your mentors, and how much attention they're paying to um, the, your, your your trainees on this thing. And then if you really want to optimize it, go in and look at some of the research by Gabby Wolf and, and on feedback and augmented feedback in the beginning um, and then and then how we're kind of wean people off that feedback and have them kind of problem solve. So it's uh, that and uh, Dr. Joan Vickers with perception, cognition, and decision training and her approach to um, with decision training versus behavior training. So we kind of touched on that a little bit. If this happens, we do that. We are very programmed for that type of training. Uh, the academies are, and I think as humans, we kind of want to see that. It's like, show me how to do it. So when I see that, I'll be able to do it right. So that's kind of a human thing. Our brains like that. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to always um, mimic what's going on. Our, our mirror motor neurons want to see something done and say, okay, that's how it's, you know, show me how to do that slap shot. I'll, I'll, I can recreate that if I just watch very intently. Like, you know, I, I, I think there's some to be learned there, but we have to be careful because of that, again, with our objective, with our recruits, do we want them just to look at this, this when we see this prompt, we do that. And that, there's, there's another issue with that because, you know, let's look at um, decision training versus behavior training where we're starting to get them to kind of produce the answers. So when they see a situation, their, their, their cognition, their perception and cognition is, is happening real time. They're picking up and valuing the information that is important as opposed to, you know, see a gun, get a gun, uh, that type of thing. So, yeah. This is really interesting because we're talking about this is more of an instructor level conversation, I would suppose, because this isn't something that gets passed along to the recruits or to the officers. We don't go into, hey, this is why I'm doing this a certain way. It's more of the put things put together. I want you to focus on what we're teaching you. So from an instructor trainer perspective, because you have I don't know how many uh, instructors you have at your academy, but. Every time you have a new instructor come in, what's the process of getting them up to speed with what you're doing? Because I've noticed that a lot of times there's instructors like you exact you had just referenced. You know, I learned from so and so who learned from so and so who learned from so and so, which is in a martial arts community we, we talk about lineage, and it's important. It's important to know where the information and knowledge came from. But at the same time, if you're too rigid with this is how I was taught, so this is how I'm going to teach. You you lose the advancement. You lose the progression. There's too many times I've seen, you know, I'll go up to an instructor and I'll say, um, hey, what are your, you know, what, what modalities are you focusing on when you're running this specific training iteration? And they'll be like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you know, like learning modalities, which ones are you focusing on? They'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. Okay. <laughs> because, because, because uh, it, you don't have, you know, we don't instruct all of our instructors, whether it be military law enforcement, they all don't have education degrees. They don't know. They sometimes when they take an instructor course, or an instructor level course, they don't talk about visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and tactile learning. They don't talk about ways people learn and some of the downfalls of focusing on one or the other or dependent on how people retain information. It, it, it never gets discussed. So how at an at academy level, when you have new instructors come in, how do you combat that? It's a challenge. I'll, I'll admit it. It's a challenge and we're working diligently uh, to do that. So um, 
I demand a lot from the instructors. Um, I try to praise them and praise them as much as I can, as far as, you know, as I call drinking the Kool-Aid of the science behind learning. Um, but right now I've, I've got 52 part-time instructors, which means they have collateral duties. They're on, they're in investigations, they're on patrol, they're, uh, you know, whatever different, different places in the department. Um, I've got three full-time folks and they're the ones that are there just every day, um, you know, scheduling and monitoring and getting everything's, uh, together and they're just, they're outstanding. So educating the instructors, extremely important. I use the same methods. I send things out online to them. These are the things we're doing. And then I'll tell you over time is a, is our great friend of ours. So, um, I have them come in on or on either on orders for a couple of days, and then over time to come in and we have class. So what I'll do is have a, a couple of days um, where they'll come in and I'll, I'll go in and discuss these things that we're doing, the application, how we're using it. And then I'll say, this is today. So what we're going to do is kind of go through this stuff, how we're doing it, how we're laying it out. Then I set time aside for them in a couple of days to work on their blocks with the help from the staff and incorporate these priming and boosting these methods into their specific blocks of instruction. So I'll do a lot of that. I also have, so that's that's probably the main way to get them to kind of focus on how we'd like things done uh, in the goals and, and that type of stuff. And, you know, I'll send them articles and things. Um, on the web-based learning platform that I mentioned earlier in the Moodle, so that's there for the recruits and they follow along all of these things day by day. I also have a section on there if anybody that understands how the web-based learning platforms work. It's one, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one program and the instructors at the instructor level, they'll have a deeper access to the site. And on that, so I'll have a file for just the instructors. And when they open that up and all the little different subsections will be defensive tactics, firearms and all these things, um, I have resources and on there it's populated and there's video clips on long-term learning performance. There's stuff from Dr. Bjork on there, Tim Lee, um, you name it, it's in there. There's reference material, there's books, and then there's all the research that we're basing off of this office in there as well. So, and I tried to, you know, encourage them to get in there, look at that research uh, and understand what, why we're doing what we're doing. And I'll be honest, a few of the, you know, there's a bunch of instructors and it's not a huge department. We should, we should be around 500 plus um, in our agency and it's a regional academy but most a lot of the instructors will say you know hey mike i i know you've been working on this stuff just tell me which how it works and, I, and i'm i'm with you 100 percent um other ones that want to question it and, and i say if you want to question it please do you should they really should uh do question it do do your own research find maybe there's a glitch in something maybe you'll find some research that's counter to what to what we are showing and, and i want to see that but uh, then I have the information on the site for them to explore. So there's hours and hours and hours worth of information on the site. Uh, and I'm still populating that information almost every day, putting that on there. I, I will say this, though, Adam, that you may mention something about that being at that trainer level. There's something else that I do. And I know that probably by the graduation, which is next uh, a week from today with this class, um, I know the recruits probably had enough of me and they want to roll me up with a blanket and hit me with bars of soap. But I've given them an awful lot of work, but I told them on day one, and it was just, you know, it's an approach that I took with the academy because I believe it. Most of the recruits in this class are right about the age of my my kids, um, my elder kids. And I brought them in and I said, you know, 
I know what they say about your generation, and I understand that you're all sick of that word snowflake and I'm sick of that word entitled. So I'm going to go ahead and just dispose of that right now, and we're starting off with empowered instead of entitled. They want to know why, and I want to tell them why. So this is what I told them. We're using some different methods. We're using some scientifically supported methods to optimize long-term learning, and you're going to learn about that as well. I absolutely do have the stuff open on the site and the exercises and forums that we use on there and class discussion on the science of learning. So yes, they do understand about narrow night first quadrants with narrow external focus of attention, internal focus. I'll have them on the range or on a building search exercise and they'll let me know when they hear something in the corner that was top down or that was bottom up. They, I have them doing this stuff with us as well. I found Adam that it empowers them when it's not like, hey, just shut up and take our word for it. It's like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And it's we're doing it to try to make it more useful to you. We're trying to create something at the end of this academy that is is, is going to be able to handle the expectations of what you're going to need to do out there in the street, those important qualities. And we're going to try to get them to take part in that all along the way. And I think that I've, I've been really proud about that, Adam. And um, the nice thing about that is the one thing that I like to tell the recruits on graduation day, and I always say um, the best gift that we could ever give you in the academy, okay, outside of all the information and the technical information that we give you about, you know, how to do things, the, the laws and things, aside from that, Everything else that has made you from day one to the end of the, the academy, that change, that growth, and the efficiency of your time and the way that you think about learning and performing, all that stuff, the best gift we could ever give you is that you never needed us at all. And I think that's very true because I like to let them think that from now on, you're responsible for your own learning. You're responsible for your own improvement, self-improvement, growth, and to be able to go out there and continually improve in all those skills that you that you need out on the street. And, and to me, that's the best you can give them is just like we didn't rely on the staff to hold our hands through all this stuff. We're just pointing in the directions, showing them where the door is, let them open the doors, discover and produce for themselves. And if they hit the or just the walls, when they hit them and bounce off, we try to help them and guide them through where we can. I love that. That's super interesting as well for me because it's starting to I'm now the now I got the hamster running. So the, the wheels are turning here for me and I'm starting to remember I had uh, I had a course officer um, through one of our, our infantry officer phases that kind of took a different approach um, when we were learning. And because you know this as well, a lot of a lot of training, it focuses on the how. How do you do this? How, how do I do this? How do I do that? What's the next step? And what he said to us was, you always have to find the why. Find out why you're doing the training. So it's not, it, it, it is important to know how to do it, but why are you doing it this way? And that, and that is what kind of just came rushing forward to the front of my mind when you said that is you're giving your recruit officers that message you're telling them hey listen we're going to show you why you're doing this not just how to do it we're going to show you why so that you can apply it in other areas and other facets of your life because we may be showing you a way to learn a certain firearms drill but when you're out there on your own you're going to be able to apply that same methodology to new 
knowledge and new techniques and things like that that don't have to do with firearms. So I really I love uh, I love the way that you're doing that, man. That's sweet. Yeah, it's, I think it's been working out. I can just see as they grow and develop, they're walking out of the academy, and it's like, look, we, we didn't just give you the finish; we gave you the tools. We gave you the tools and the understanding um, that you can that you can self improve and your, all of your skills, cognitive and motor skills, everything that's out there. And, I, and I'll kind of throw this in because I know we've been talking about a lot of this learning and education. Uh, look, I'm I'm an old knuckle dragger trainer from back in. Uh, I guess I got I'm getting my 29th year now, so. Not, not that not old for the earth, but old for this stuff, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, that along with it, it's like, I don't, I don't want to make people think that it's like, oh, we're doing all this kind of ushy gushy stuff. There's some things you have to pay attention to that are important. Um, all these things that we're doing, like back at home online, it's like, you have to limit the amount of time that they're doing that and the importance of sleep and rest and all that's in there. But the other thing that we do in our academy, we are considered one of the hardest academies in the state, not because of the methods of instruction that we're doing. Um, most people don't really know of it that we're doing, um, but we absolutely do grind. I mean, most, most of the academy staff here, um, we're kind of on the Jocko willing path and all that stuff. So it's like getting up early in the morning on day two of the Academy, we're running eight and a half miles and we're push-ups in the park. And I mean, we grind, we grind hard in the morning. Um, we've also used that morning time. So uh, I'll give you an example of some of this um, motor skill stuff that we've been doing, uh, kind of trying to interleave and use spacing to kind of focus on breaking down that block is what we do is um, our PT, and we PT every single morning, every day of the week, um, used to, back in the day, consist of running, like marathon runners all morning, just running, running, running. And we still do that for the first, like, two weeks. Um, everybody understands. we got to grind hard in the beginning and see who really wants to be there, uh, who kind of slipped through the background process and doesn't really, like, have their heart into it. If they're popping out really quick on that, then they probably weren't going to make it very far anyway. So, But then we go into using that morning session, broken it down into circuit training in the squads. So here's a, an example of something that we use. And any other trainers, if you, if, you've not, if you haven't tried anything like this yet, oh, my God, it's been working out really good for us. And again, what we're looking at is how much time do we have and how can we use it most efficiently. So our morning workouts, a few days of the week, instead of just doing road work and running, we go to this gym and we pay a membership and the recruits pay a membership for the gym in the morning. Um, and it's great. They have all types of metabolic conditioning workouts, flipping tires and battle ropes and pull-ups. And we're running these, uh, I don't know if you want to call them HIT or Metcons, but they're like Murph type workouts. If you know, like the Murph, like you're doing this high, high, high intensity, there's no rest and you're just grinding. So you, uh, you'll have these squats and you'll have four 15 minute, um, circuit so you go into your first circuit and maybe it's a it's a murph type workout for 15 minutes when it's done you have a five minute break to grab some water go to the next circuit and the next circuit you're going into a room and i've got a firearms instructor in there with a bunch of you know sims force on force pistols and he's going through some grip technique or things and then the next one is a hit workout and the next one they got a dt room where they're working on balance and things like that or or they'll sit down and they'll have a discussion uh there's a computer in there so there's there's two or th two educational blocks and two hip type workouts. So what we're doing is we start that off in the end of week two. They're already learning about defensive tactics, firearms, EMS, EVOC. Um, they're getting all these skills that we normally block, and we're, they're doing that in the mornings. So two or three times a week, 
we're starting to prime and prime and prime and teach and teach and teach. And we're going through that stuff and they're running drills and it's a physical component to it. Um, we even do it on the run. Sometime we'll stop and we'll discuss the lesson that they had the night before. So we interject, we interject those physical um, movements with some training uh, and it's non-stress training. So they'll go through. And then when we interleave and we get to those, Again, we're not blocking firearms now. They'll go to firearms next day. They'll go to uh, emergency vehicle operation. Then they'll go back to firearms. Then they'll go to EMS. And now they're shooting throughout the academy. They're doing all these skills and building and boosting as they go. So that's an example of how uh, I know I talked about the cognitive side with the the, the online program, but the uh, more motor skill and how we use those same methods to enhance uh, motor skill across that whole 29-week period. I love the way that you guys intersperse the the physical training with the the cognitive type training. That's I think that's super important too because the majority of the time when an officer will get dispatched to a call, they're well not only will they have that you know that little boost of adrenaline depending on the type of call that they're coming to, and they have the elevated heart rate and and all the physiological changes that come along with that. But you maybe they're running to maybe they have to run a hundred yards to get on scene and now they're asked to to deal with a situation that they that may be a hundred percent mental and you're giving them the tools right out of the gate to be able to to do that and so that they're it's not a completely foreign thing to them so i think that's a fantastic way of of doing training i'm uh, i'm gonna steal that idea i don't know how i'm gonna do it yet but i'm gonna steal it yeah well i'll tell you I'll tell you now, we're, we're working with Force Science. We're working on uh, a course right now. I can mention it. I can't get too deep into it because we're still working on the format. Um, uh, we're calling it the Methods of Instruction, the Science of Learning, and it's kind of bringing all this stuff together. We're still bringing in the research, and we're still trying to map it out exactly how we want it to play out. But, um, you know, the original thought is, hey, let's have like a, a so-many-day class where we kind of get into this stuff. It's like, well, why don't we actually use the Methods of Instruction to teach the course. And so, you know, we're looking at this format of an online component ahead with some direct instruction and then possibly some workshopping so that you're actually taking stuff from the parameters that you're working in, whether you're just a, uh, you may be a change agent with your department, um, you know, a, a director or a head trainer or administrator, or if you're just somebody that comes out to assist in a particular skill that you can actually utilize that to build a one day program where you can use some of these different methods of instruction and just, uh, you know, working on some uh, serial motor skills. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's hopefully forthcoming. We're, we're still working on that right now and I'm very excited to get that together. Do you have any timelines on when that program will be able to be rolled out and what's, what's kind of, um, what's going to be the exposure to it? Is it going to be something that's open to all agencies across North America or is there, is it going to be limited, uh, kind of like a beta run, like you were talking about before? Um, how do you know how that's going to all play out? Uh, I don't for sure right now. We're still in the building phase, and I, I know Dr. Lewinsky's probably listening to me going, <laughs> but Mike, <laughs> um, but it's, I yes, it's just I get so excited about it because I think we're onto some great stuff. Some of the stuff that I've been using, and again, Chris Butler and and some of the other folks there, just going into this research with, and then so much that Four Science has already been working on as far as understanding. Um, these human dynamics and these time compressed violent encounters and trying to add that to the instructional part and because that's the thing I mean I know that you've been through some of the training there with force science and the advanced course when you're looking at these now we're talking about critical incidents 
uh, and you, we're always looking at it from an investigative end. And I found through working on the with the advanced specialist course that the side conversations online that we have and that we when we're meeting during the clinical days, they always come back to training. So as as officers, we're always trying to feel okay. We're looking at this situation, you know this this um this this incident here, this incident on YouTube, this incident that happened at this PD. We always go back and go, okay, so how was that officer trained? And it's like, as trainers, I'm looking at it from a different lens going, let's go start doing something about that right now Um, because we can see all these dynamics. Let's pay attention to how things are occurring and how can we better approach that in in the training uh, experience. So um, as far as timeline, I'm not sure. Uh, I know we have a lot of things going on right now, but uh, I'll definitely keep you abreast of it. And uh, I'm very excited to what that's going to be. We want to make sure that the finished product is uh, exactly acceptable to where we want it to be. So, but I'll keep you abreast of that for sure. Well, from my experience, everything that uh, comes out of force science is only of the highest quality. So I would expect nothing less. So it's going to take time, but I'm excited for it to roll out. And when it does, we're going to have to have you back on and uh, maybe even uh, Dr. L will come on um, and talk about the program and and what it is that you guys are going to be rolling out. um, Because I think it's going to be super useful, uh, especially not only to our listeners, um, but to law enforcement agencies everywhere. If people want to find out what is going on with force science they can obviously go to uh, forcescience.org and they have an unlimited amount of resources there um, about everything we've talked about today and stuff like that but if they want to get a hold of you mike um, because obviously there's a lot of things that we we grazed we barely touched on um, and that people want to get a little bit deeper into if there's instructors or instructor trainers out there right now that want to have a chat with you where can they find you Yes, definitely. Um, just kind of got over the surface of some things that I know that are we have a very deep end in that we just talked on today. Um, but if, to get a hold of me, you can you can just uh, hit me up on my email. It's uh, the initials mm at forcescience.org. M is in Mike. M is in Mike at forcescience.org. With our talk today, is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? Is there anything that's on the top of your mind that Last, a last few words that you kind of want to get out there to instructors, trainers, or, or officers that are listening to this program. Um, sure. We've got another half hour. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No. Rock and roll, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, just, I, I guess a couple of things. And again, from my experiences uh, as trainers out there is make sure that we're, we're always on that path of um, constant improvement. That's, and, and again, look at our objectives, reassess, just like we teach our recruits and our students, always reassess what are our programs doing? What are the actual objectives? Are they training objectives? Are they operational objectives? And the other thing is, I've, I understand that there are constraints. I understand that as a trainer, we can get frustrated. As a trainer, we shoulder um, this responsibility that, especially if you're training these, these things where it comes to you know defensive tactics, firearms, and use of force, that's like when you're a trainer, you understand that um, this weight on your shoulders is this, I cannot do less than my very best. Um, because when that thing happens out there to that officer, you know, if I didn't give them a hundred percent, then, you know, I'm going to carry that with me the rest of my life. So with that being said, are you training curriculums? Are you training tactics, techniques, procedures based on a philosophy of what we think is the best way to do it? Okay. So it feels good because this has worked in the past, that type of thing. We can't look there. 
I mean, it's great when we sit around the round table and we're having a beer or having a coffee and we're talking about these things and these experiences of what worked, what didn't work. Go back to the books. Look at the Leoka stats. Look at the research. Let data drive your training. Let what is occurring on the streets, what we need to perform and be able to do well, let that refocus and redrive your training and try to step away from these just, you know, arbitrary training objectives. And I guess the other thing is, and a lot of people are thinking, well, yeah, I don't have the authority or power to do that. I just try, I just come out and teach uh, once in a while. And it's like, look, you're a change agent. You're a leader. If you're, if you're out there and you have students, you have recruits, or you have cops in there, and you're affecting them. So it's not that subject that you're teaching. You're teaching a person. Give them everything that you can. So make sure you do your homework. Go do your research, as I do constantly here. Um, I don't have all the answers. I know that. Uh, the more I learn, the the more humble I get about the, the stuff that there is to learn. Uh, but as trainers, folks, keep striving, keep trying. Uh, and I know that it's frustrating because you can get a change of administration or something, and it takes a long time to build a house, and one lightning strike can burn it to the ground. And it's our job to just you know go back out there, kick that stuff aside, and start building that foundation again, and start building it back up. And if there's if there's parameters and things that are getting in the way of where you think need, things need to be, you know, send your administrators. Try to get the training to them. Try to and, and get a hold of me. I'll help you with this because I've had to lean on some walls along the way to try to push things in a certain direction. And sometimes it's like uh, the Shawshank Redemption with the little rock hammer. It just takes some pressure and time, and then you can get to where you need to be. So I guess that's my final thoughts, Adam. Thanks. Great advice uh, from one of the leaders in the industry. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for your service, um, training and instructing the next crop, the next generation of officers that's coming out. So thank you for joining us. We're going to have you back on 100%. I know for a fact that you're going to be back on here with us, and and I'm excited for that. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you soon, man. Thanks for joining us. It's been an honor, Adam. Thank you very much, and I'd be happy to come back. Thank you very much, sir. All right, that's a wrap on my conversation with Mike. If you want to learn more about what Mike's doing or you want to get a hold of Mike, check out thebreakdown.ca forward slash 027. You can have all his contact information there. You can get right a hold of him. Or you can always contact myself directly, and I'll put you in touch with Mike if need be. Now, again, reminder, the Instructor's Roundtable. Last Thursday, each and every month, 1800 Central Time. We're going to be bringing these to you each and every month. We have partnered with our friends at Caliber Press, who lead the way in law enforcement training, have for the last four decades. They're amazing. We're excited to partner with them. And we are also doing our gear giveaways each and every month. If you are a member of law enforcement, military, corrections, emergency response, active duty, or veteran, you can enter the draw. You're eligible to win. We're going to be running these each and every month, so make sure to join it each and every month. And uh, that's, of course, sponsored by our friends at LA Police Gear, Patch Panel, and Blower Tactical Systems. So make sure you jump on that to for $400 worth of gear that we're giving away each and every month for you for free. Get on it. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, if you find this information actionable and useful to you with what you're doing in your day-to-day, we appreciate your support, and I can't wait to see you next time on the Tactical Breakdown. Stay safe.